We're all gathered here today to listen to a dwarf cast by Ganymede and Titan. Start the tape, please, Holly. Awoga, this is a dwarf cast. Hello and welcome to the Ganymede and Titan Dwarfcast commentary for series 11, episode 1, Twentica. We're bringing our commentaries squarely into the Dave era as we tackle a series that's fairly recent, but hopefully far enough away that we have opinions on it and that we remember enough of it to make this interesting. Let's find out. Uh, I'm Ian Symes and with me is Danny Stevenson. Hello. And Jonathan Capps. Hi. I went to you in the opposite order than normal. You threw me you. then. Have you noticed that <laughs> I I mix up the order that I mention us in the article every single week? <laughs> no, <laughs> I did not. Everyone's notice. got equal billing. Oh, oh well. That's not, anyway, this is irrelevant yeah. <laughs> to, to the Dwarfcast. If you would like to watch along the episode with the commentary, then you should press play on your Blu-ray or DVD or on-demand service after these beeps. There ain't no place in the whole of cyberspace. www.ganymede.tv uh, Series 11. Titles. Uh, <laughs> That's words. correct. Uh, Twentica uh, was uh, number 46 in the Pearl Poll. Uh, it's the third best one in series 11. Uh, it was recorded last. Uh, it was the last one to be recorded for series 11. Okay. Uh, but they chose to put it out first, so they must, uh, we assumed that because they thought it was a, a strong one to open on. Yeah. Even I mean, though it is, the is the exciting. best one <laughs> for first, but then back to I remember you coming back incredibly enthused by this episode. And you were talking yeah. about it like it was a big finale episode. It it felt like it, yeah. and I don't know whether that how much of that was just what you expect going in to episode six. You're looking out for that kind of thing. That's but I don't know. There's, there's, I guess the scale of it, and that it, it's certainly like the the sets for the twenties era are really impressive, and it's got a big guest star. Uh, and there's a lot happening, and there's several big guest stars actually, big guest performances. Mm. It just really felt like it would sit well at the end. By the way, uh, we're one minute twenty seconds into this episode, and the villain has already appeared. That's that's pacey. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and the villain is the actor Kevin Elf. It is, yeah. Unfortunately, slightly too buried, I think, under his voice effect. Mm. He's got an amazing voice. It like, does. It does come up later though, when the. It, like it's obvious it's Kevin Eldon when you you get a, a bit later on that really sells it's like that is definitely Kevin Eldon. That's true. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> His face is uh, is in good form. Yeah. Later on. I mean, I'm loving the fact we've got Kevin Eldon in Red Dwarf in general. To be fair, it's yeah, kind of, it's a very special treat. It's almost a surprise though that it took that long because he's in everything that was made in the nineties. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For like from the nineties onwards, he's been in everything, and it took until 2016 to get him in Red Dwarf. I do, and this is quite this is quite interesting conceit. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> Taking a hostage from the future. That was a giant bicycle. I don't know if it, you call it a bicycle gag, but he was really laying on thick about not um, not negotiating um, with the simulants. Absolutely not under any circumstances, no matter what. And then, yeah, yeah. Gotta love the big mute symbol. <laughs> it's another plot that. It could, it's used essentially just as a bit of setup, a bit of getting getting to the main plot, whereas it could be a main plot in itself, like someone kidnapped through time. Yeah, yeah. it's like um, it's a Doctor Who style. But plot. instead, it's used for two really good visual gags. I think like when when it's paid mm. off in a little bit, it's really good. As craft crafty little trick from the, uh, um, fuck what they call. The Red Dwarf crew. No, the the um um. Oh, uh, Exponoids. Exponoids. Yeah, sorry. The Red Dwarf. Yeah. Oh yeah, sorry. The Red Dwarf crew. That's what they're called. <laughs> uh, 
Is this the Exponoids? Are they? They're not the. Um, they're not the enemies from the script, are they? From the movie script. Similar name. No, those were Homo Sapienoids. Ah, yeah. Not to be confused with the Agonoids. Who were the ones from Rob Grant's backwards novel? That's right. Yeah. The one with the torture devices and stuff. The one with the bollocks. <laughs> I really like Craig's delivery of. I've got to talk to the DA. <laughs> the DA. It's a weird thing for a Scouse man to say. It's also a weird thing for a Red Dwarf character to say. It's one of those lines that kind of sticks out as a bit of a, not so much as an anachronism as just something that it's one of those jokes that doesn't quite fit into the mould of the show. I see is he is using language that he knows just from watching telly. Or watching films. That's true. It's, it's a joke. Just stuff it's... that is picked up. Yeah, it's a joke about the tropes of uh, American law yeah. shows, like R- written procedural. by someone who probably watches a lot of box sets on Netflix. <laughs> yeah. Who do you think I am? Three of sixty-three. <laughs> first little, first little taste of Elden delivery. Yeah. <laughs> The taste of Elden. <laughs> I like how Starbucks got, to room 101. <laughs> got an exchange mechanism all built into it. Yeah, that's good. So kidnap someone from the future, use them as leverage, and then just <laughs> do a complete swap. <laughs> yeah, it's an excellent idea. Yeah, it's he was only a hostage for about two minutes. Yeah. <laughs> well, he said it was. He said it was hours to them. Like for for him, it was hours. I mean, yeah, it took it took him ages to sneak through the ship, and he had to like um, kill the agonoids. <laughs> but the 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 crosshair kept swinging back and forth, and he had to really <laughs> just get it right. So it was a, it was a good few hours. <laughs> Uh, you're gonna have to explain your joke now. <laughs> yeah, that was the tie-in mobile game for this series, which uh, took moments from the episode that maybe we didn't see on screen and uh, made you play through them. Sometimes for better, sometimes, sometimes yeah. for worse. Yeah, it was, you know, it was, I'm glad they existed. Yeah. Oh yeah, and the Twenty-Four episode I remember in particular was uh, it was obviously it was the first one to be released. And it was released at the same week it was on TV, and it felt like a really big yeah. sort of key part of the experience for one week only yeah. and then they just fell so horrendously behind that they didn't bother with the last two episodes yeah. oh. such a shame we were, we were convinced it was going to be a weekly thing yeah which would have been a hell of a thing to turn around yeah, like, it would. you'd have, have to get to have it started a long time in advance yeah. in order for that to be even feasible god this episode's beautiful in HD <laughs> yeah it's yeah, it's the first glimpse on screen of the new. It's like it's a it's an evolution, not a revolution, from uh, series ten, I think, because <laughs> obviously there's a lot that's been re- like you've got Starbug now, which we didn't have in series ten. Um, you don't see that much of the uh, of Red Dwarf itself in this episode. Yeah, uh, there's an interesting thing about what you do see of Red Dwarf, which we'll come to. Uh, but yeah, the lighting style is is different. Uh, it's a little, little bit more cinematic, more blues and reds. Yeah, and they've they put the best model shots of the series in the first episode as well. I think this is actually one of the like the it's really tense this bit. It's genuinely kind of it quite works. tense as about the, the, the they're about to crash and crimes getting whipped about in the the cockpit and stuff. It's quite a it's quite a tense little scene. Yeah, that is that's a model shot worthy oh, of great in the it. BBC years. Yeah, it's all the better for being a miniature. I think they overall the balance of things you'd probably want a bit more on the miniature side in modern Red Dwarf, but uh, with, with the limited resources that they have, yeah. they've got better along the years of picking their battles and, and you know sle- picking that one out for the model for the miniatures treatment and leaving other things to CG. Yeah, about picking the best tool for the job. Something we've actually blown past, um, Crichton explains the exponoids by saying that they um, either du- they double the amount of their transistors or double the capacity of their transistors every two years. Yeah, um, That's Moore's law, basically. Yeah. That is the thing that has kind of dictated the um, 
progress of silicon and processes and everything, but has only just started to completely stop. <laughs> okay. Interestingly enough, because it's uh, it's uh, un unsustainable because it's just because yeah. things just get stupidly. Yeah, until you get into quantum computing, but basically old school Moore's law like silicon is is pretty much done now. Um, there's an interesting point for you. It's uh, it's, a, it's like Richard Herring's thing with Ferrero Rocher. <laughs> yes. <laughs> For one one Valentine's Day, his first Valentine's Day with his wife, he bought a one Ferrero Rocher and then decided he'd get a double the amount of Ferrero Rochers every year and then realised that they'd end up having to buy like, 1,024 Ferrero Rochers within seven years. Yeah, it's the, uh, the, the sand on a chessboard problem. <laughs> this is good, good Robert. Uh stuff yeah <laughs> it's the it's quite yeah it doesn't play it for laughs too like i get the feeling that maybe sort of series four era robert would have played it a little bit more subtly but by current standards he doesn't ham it up too much i think a lot of that is the uh the gap we've had with the the fact that new red dwarf was kicking i think the audience are very excited by any yeah. red dwarf at this stage so you know the audience are very much um Kind of like pushing yeah. for you know more broader performances. So this was filmed yeah. and, in and Robert is just giving people what they want. Yeah, exactly that. This was what Kat? this was filmed in twenty fifteen, right? Late twenty fifteen. Yeah. So or maybe early. Yeah, late twenty fifteen. Yeah, it's late late twenty fifteen. Um, so even when it was filmed, it was like five years since. No, oh, that's completely wrong. It was three, three years, years since yeah. uh, still since yeah. t- since ten air. Yeah, so it had been long enough to think everyone start thinking, oh, maybe Red Dwarf's done. <laughs> yeah, that's always been the case in the day. It's only between eleven and twelve when we knew that there was more stuff coming. Yeah, ever since then, every bit we've got could be the last. Yeah, it's so natural. And yeah, like audience wise, there was the line earlier in the cockpit. Uh, Crichton couldn't be more fried if he was a Mars bar living in Scotland, <laughs> which is a is an average line. Yeah, <laughs> but it gets a huge applause, and so it really stands out. Yeah. It just being really incongruous. That's what I mean. And the, I remember. Do you remember the debates about that at the time of people just going, "But why are they laughing so much?" It made people think worse of the joke. It's like maybe people criticized, over criticized the joke because the reaction was so disproportionate. I think it was. I mean, a lot of his in the delivery. I think that is that is a joke that was delivered perfectly for a live audience. Yeah. If I was in that live audience, I would have lost my shit at that. <laughs> for for sure. I get the for living the detail that the Mars bar is living in Scotland. Living in Scotland. I mean, it's a bit of a late nineties joke. To be honest, but that, yeah. that's Doug. <laughs> um, <laughs> because fried Mars bars in Scotland has not been a joke. That, that has not been a joke for twenty years, surely. They're delicious. They're bloody good. I couldn't eat a whole one these days. I could give it a good go. <laughs> <laughs> let's go right now. Fucking, let's just press stop, everyone. Um. Something that I didn't mention early on, so I watched this earlier, so this is a thought that I'd had from, from then, is that there is an overload of the cat rimmer jokes, mm. which we which is also a thing in um where well, it's a plot point in um, Promised Land of just mm. the constant oh well that wouldn't be so bad because it is you, Rimmer, who would be disadvantaged by this you know that sort of, <laughs> that, that 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 formula. And it is it, honestly it's hammered about six times in that opening cockpit scene. Yeah, and again yeah. just now. Yeah. <laughs> We're saying you're illegal, oh, I may move here. Yeah, yeah. It's like, all right, mate, Jesus. <laughs> you don't like him, we get it. <laughs> it does come across, yeah, Cat does come across as quite mean all of a sudden. Or oh, unimaginative. Like, just, it's just the, <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, the huge I concentration of all that. If those jokes were spread out over a series, that would be par for the course. I do like when the guy's getting carried away, he's like, I'll help you move me. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It's like he's been carried off a stage, isn't it? Like, <laughs> it's not meant to be seen by the camera. But we should say it is a. This is a stage. It's an indoor set, and it looks oh, absolutely incredible. Yeah, the lighting. Yeah, it is. It is brilliant. To be fair, the sets on this are pretty fucking special. It reminds it me of why we don't have much red dwarf in in this episode. Oh no! It was all the all the street stuff was pre-recorded. They basically removed the audience seating during the week built this, filmed on it, and then 
ripped it up and put the audience seating back in. That's great. That's what you get for and properly then, planning um, a series. Yeah. And then they, 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 if I remember rightly, I might be slightly wrong, they replaced the science room with the um, Lady Be Good Club. Mm. Oh, makes sense. On the night. Yeah, that, feel, that definitely yeah. feels like that space. I love the I love the blue lighting um, with the um, with the smoke. It, it, it feels feels very video gamey, like really pretty video games these days. Like they tend to be lots of blue moonlight and lots of smoke, and that's how they make themselves pretty. Kind of orange and blues. Yes, yeah. Kind of contrasting, but it's like the, the it also the um, it feels very back to reality. Does this a bit as well? Oop, there goes yeah. gravity. Kind of feeling, you know. It's a similar world, I guess. It's like in, both inspired by film noir yes. tropes, yeah. done for very different effects. Yeah, it is. It's kind of like the colours and everything make it sort of hyper real, like not quite reality, which is, I guess, at least partly intentional because it's not yeah. reality as we know it. Yeah. Although I do worry that this episode completely breaks. Um, the human development forever <laughs> because because it doesn't get undone no it's like in the yeah in the storyline technology stops developing at a certain point in the 1920s the, this is the 50s isn't it in real yeah. terms well so the between the 20s and the 50s everything stays the same uh and by the end of this uh, episode they've defeated the exponoids and and everything then can start going back to normal but that doesn't erase what happened in those 30 years humanity just so... rebuilt everything based on cctv footage of the original 20s to the <laughs> well in order for like they'd have had to get got a bit of a wriggle on basically yeah from from the 50s to say Putting a man on the moon in 1969. Well, I mean, yeah. They had 30 years less to develop the technology. Is it the fact that just everything got delayed by 30 years? Maybe they, they were really working hard after this to catch up, get re- get humanity back on track. Well, it seems like this stuff, the science club stuff, is like people are still doing it. It's just that they're not doing it in public, or you know, this information mm. isn't being released. So as soon as oh, wish here's Rebecca Blackstone. <laughs> Yay. Joining a rather slim club of um, actors who have played two different characters in Red Dwarf. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, she's but, yeah, it's part of a very exclusive club there. Yeah. In two ways, she's a small, in this exclusive club. A small part. Yeah. Lucy Powell is so good in this. She's uh, she's certainly putting in a performance. I'll say that. Yeah, it's relentless. <laughs> yeah, um, this is this is so. One evening, um, Doug read a lot of Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> um, some point in two, 2015. Well, I think this is all yeah, the brief history. Stick on the sea, also. Oh yeah, maybe yeah. So he read he read that, or he read the Wikipedia page for that. For that, yeah. <laughs> Just copied down all the bits of blue writing. <laughs> <laughs> and there's Rebecca Blackstone taking what was a tiny insignificant part and making it so memorable yeah. <laughs> like genuinely flirting with Danny John Jules <laughs> but yeah what a cast really lots of big performances one way or the other mm. yeah definitely yeah it's um like Lu- Lucy Pohl as Harmony is such a, it's like it's only the fact that Kevin Alden is also in this episode that perhaps she doesn't necessarily crop up in terms of like the most memorable guest characters yeah he's may- maybe overshadowed within this episode by having so many other people there but it's certainly a, a great character and performed really well yeah it's, it's definitely fair really that, that she doesn't get that, she, that, that she's having to share the limelight really mm. It's it's definitely um, a certain type of Red Dwarf episode that's kind of long established. So this this is like in a list with backwards, back to reality, meltdown, like Red Red Dwarf episodes that feel very distinctively different. Like they're breaking out from the norms, but they kind of do it in the same way every time. Yeah. Um, Which is maybe another reason why it was felt odd going out first. Yeah, well, obviously backwards did in that list of examples as well. But it's like they they come back after 
four years off uh, in terms of TX with a format breaker. Yeah, that's true. You know, like going for a more traditional. It isn't you know, very give and take. Was yeah, that that gets so that gets so immediately into the plot. It's not even it's not even trying to reintroduce the main characters. Uh, um, there's a, a a trend in these series where they explain something without really needing to explain things. Like yeah. Crichton says, Einstein. Do you mean like Albert Einstein? Like, Who the fuck <laughs> else is it going to be? <laughs> really. <laughs> Best guess. Catering, catering for the members of the audience who <laughs> are interested they, enough to just, watch a science fiction explained. sitcom but don't know who Einstein is. <laughs> you just explained string theory, relative physics, <laughs> quantum mechanics, and all that stuff. You don't go into details about those things, but Einstein, the most famous you know, <laughs> physicist who's ever lived, you have to say who that is. Really? Maybe another um, too quickly forgotten guest star, our guest performance here. <laughs> what I thought was Billy Connolly at one point. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he, he's definitely. Now that would have been a guest star. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a good, it's a good Crap. turn. It's good ad libbing from, uh, from from Robert. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's not us, sir. That's another. That's another. That's an, another thing that Robert does more so in the Dave era. And like I say, it's about the audience expectations of his character and him playing up to those. He he knows that it's amusing for just Crichton to say quite mundane things in a really <laughs> earnest way. <laughs> and so he adds them in. It's, it's a bit of a double whammy because he's also wearing a hat. I mean... That's... <laughs> <laughs> All the best Crichton tropes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it is, it's true. There's something intrinsically funny about Crichton having things on him that people with normal faces have. Yeah, it's like it's basically his idea of a disguise is to not cover the most important part of disguising yourself. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You said looking conspicuous. The one thing you can't explain away is Crichton's face. You can explain <laughs> the whole costume away if you wanted to, but not his face. Not the face. Yeah. You want me to get this potato to this potato? <laughs> That was that was a nice bit of performance. A little wink to to Danny, just like ah, oh, it's all right, mate. I got this. I'm brilliant. Well, all of the liquid. I just like this sequence out. with yeah, <laughs> it's twisting the tables around while they've got volatile chemicals <laughs> in beakers. <laughs> just all pissed out of the floor, just destroying the floorboards right now. <laughs> good Chris Berry face. <laughs> Interesting that the halting of um, technology also halted culture. Horticulture. Yeah. Oh, horticulture. horticulture. There's no plants whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> and no, yeah, you're right. I think it, the exponoids were just suppressing everything. Yeah. Everything that was new of any kind. Mm. <laughs> good. Very good faces in this. And I suppose there's stuff like no one would have invented the electric guitar. Yeah, true. So yeah. Mu- music wouldn't have changed so much in the 50s. Stuck with the big bands. They would, they, you know, now television. <laughs> That's a very good science joke. That's a good science joke. Now, this bit with. <laughs> like hey, she's just asked him about his face as previously discussed. Yeah, the only thing that he hasn't got <laughs> There's a deleted bit here where Crichton says I'm just playing in the band. There's a deleted scene where they say prove it and he plays the saxophone and he like it's not on the DVD. I can I only oh, I'm only yeah. having to go off memories from twenty fifteen, but yeah, there was a whole bit recorded where Crichton I think sort of accessed uh, jazz mode or something and then mimed along to what sounded to me like a Howard Goodall trademark sax solo and then it got cut and wasn't used in the DVD and we don't really have an explanation for why it wasn't That's used. Yeah. Maybe it wasn't a Howard Goodall solo and it was a piece Maybe. of music that they yeah. yeah. Here he is. It was uh, actually Africa by Toto. Nice. Um, um, I guess synergy. I know it's, it's not um, a fixed part of his costume but he's got like a Center kind of chest plate 
Roundel saying yeah. it's right, and he, even though it's the it's the thing that was discussed earlier. And uh, the the head in the helmet is very old school, simulant, but different. Mm. It's like I always pick that little red light they have is something that the Nick Paul simulant had in Justice. Mm. And it's obviously it's a brand new design, and they're not actually simulants, but there is definitely a through thread. There's a consistency in the design yeah. from the old series. I mean, it's burden, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. He's very good at the that. Burden He's very is, good at the, the burden detail. of the costumes is burdens. <laughs> yes. And um, slight <laughs> makeup to show wires as well, but just not too heavy-handed. <clears throat> And at this stage, he's not no longer relevant to the plot, but she just chips in with <laughs> science-based quips every now and yeah. then. Yeah, science-based quip, does a face, gets a woofer, <laughs> moving on. I love this bit, though. <laughs> it kind of breaks the tension. Like The drama of the scene is completely broken, but it, it's in the name of comedy that involves Kevin Eldon doing a face, so I'm all... <laughs> For it exactly, like the other the other droid as well gives a good performance. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's that kind of thing of just like a normal conversation happening with you know people of the future having you know robots having quite normal human conversations. <laughs> it's something that reality, Doug does quite well. <laughs> if reality TV has taught us nothing, is that people having a mundane argument while wearing a silly costume is the funniest thing that you can put on TV. <laughs> yeah. It's like um, a, yeah, you know. Kevin Eldon's face as he turns sort yeah. of half towards the camera. Oh, <laughs> that's proper. <laughs> that's proper Eldon. Quintessential Eldon. Quinlanctessential Eldon. <laughs> This is an interesting little thing because it's like that Rimmer's genuinely thinking that Lister could stay, and yeah, it's quite an interesting little. And it's only when you know he says that all oh, will be turned off as well that it's enough. And yeah, so, mind, but yeah, it's... he only he turns against the idea when he realizes that he's in danger. Yes, but when it doesn't affect him one way or the other, like he has nothing to gain from Lister being happy, but mm. he still makes a suggestion that would make Lister happy. Yeah. You kind of got to mention it in some way, even just to hang a um, a lampshade on it. The fact that you're on Earth right now, they yeah. could have that, stayed. There was that possibility yeah. of Lister not going back with them. I mean, sure, it's a it's a, a couple of hundred years earlier than he should be, but that's closer than three billion years away. Yeah, mm. I guess that's the point. If it was, you know, his, you know, twenty second or third century Liverpool, it would be a lot harder for him to make that decision. I, th- you know, I think he'd be happy with any save, time frame where Brighton. he could complete the Monopoly pub crawl. As long as, <laughs> as long as he could do that. So it's sort of like the world. So end. here is <laughs> our first and only glimpse of Red Dwarf in this episode. So mm-hmm. the first glimpse of it in series 11. And it's the series 12 bunk room. Yes, it is. <laughs> because uh, they ran out of time on the night it was the last show before Christmas and they were running a bit late and they kind of made an impromptu decision. It transpired to sort of... The, it would have taken like quite a bit of resetting to get this set in use and costume change and stuff and they just said, fuck it, let's pick it up in the new year. Uh, unfortunately, in between times, they redesigned the bunk room <laughs> and so it's shot on the Series 12 bunk room and then it turns back to the Series 11 bunk room for the first time in the second episode of Series 11. <laughs> Yeah, such a weird, such a weird um, time in Red Dwarf's history, isn't it? Eleven and twelve, like, yeah, uh, it'll never happen again. Anything like it, you'd think. Not having any kind of stability. Yeah, well, yeah, it's, it's just that that back to back, that back to back shooting, and the fact that there was that big change in sets halfway through, which you'd think, considering it was all part of technically one production block, would be a massive continuity no-no. To even touch anything like that, you'd think mm. just, you'd mm. want to just keep everything going, just so you could do pickups. But um, it's kind of cool yeah. and unusual, and yeah, yeah. And it's weird because at the end of uh, series twelve, Doug said, "I think it's on the documentary on the series twelve DVD that 
by the end of doing 12 episodes in a row they'd gotten really good at it and got into a rhythm which is borne out by the results yeah uh, some of the best episodes are from the back end of series 12 mm-hmm. uh, and he said that you know it's the way forward like if they were to do it again they'd want to do it this way and then <laughs> they did the exact opposite and then four years later a one-off 90 minute special <laughs> <laughs> which a qu- actually a quarter turned out, of the running time which actually turned turns out, to out is another brilliant way of doing yeah, it yeah. so. swings basically the best ways of doing red dwarf is to do it in a way that you're really good at it <laughs> So, either it's it's momentum build up over an incredibly intense six month recording schedule, or you boil it down so much and give yourself enough time relative to the amount of screen time that you've got the time mm. to be good at it. <laughs> so, which one's yeah. better? Who knows? <laughs> well, I guess we'll find out over the next uh, twelve commentaries. God knows how many months. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, is there anything else that we need to say about Twentica? I mean, no. Yeah, it's it's. No. <laughs> I, I'm I'm really interested in this whole. I mean, you know, obviously we know we're starting we're starting the eleven and twelve era now with commentaries, and so it's been a good few years until I've uh, since I've really watched them or maybe even thought about these episodes very much. Yeah. Um, so I'm quite curious about how I'm um how things are going to lie, and I'll have to say is that Twentica was not as good. As it was in my head, uh, as I watched it earlier today, um, maybe on like a a, com- a comedy level, particularly. Mm. There's a lot of leaps required to to make the plot work. I think. Yeah, the, there's a lot of jumps that you have to sort of just allow in order for it not to annoy you. But that's the big biggest thing I've got. The beginning was great. I kind of like the the idea that you know that the getting to the situation is the thing. Getting out of the situation is a little kind of clunky. I don't know. Yeah. It's a curious one. It's a curious one because you know, obviously, the next episode um, is probably not going to be a highlight either. But I do, you know, like th- th- there's episodes in my head like G and T, Crisis, <laughs> Officer Rimmer to some extent. Um, we all know what we think of kind of worms, but like th- there are these big highlights still in here, and I'd be really interested to see how they hold up, basically. But that's you know, thoughts for the future. <laughs> yeah, I. It's a weird one because, yeah, like you say, when I came back from the recording, I was really, really enthusiastic. Yeah. And I think it was it was just that it was the scale of it, I guess, mm-hmm. impressed me so much. It felt like it had a much bigger budget than the Dave era had had so far. And it, it's due to the impressiveness of that one big set. Well, not just the big, not just the big outdoor set, but also the, the club, uh, the Lady Be Good club set. Mm-hmm. Um, the caliber of the guest cast and the amount of guest cast it just felt big and epic and it felt like it belonged in the BBC era and I think that was what got me so excited is like probably not peak uh, one to six but it, it certainly Aspiring. a Tika to ride type feeling to it, it you know yeah. and Tika to ride being far from perfect but amongst the better end of the series seven spectrum yeah and also a member of that um, outlier club I guess as well yeah um, you know yeah. With, the, with the others. And so yeah, it felt like a really good. Just obviously, when you go, you know, we didn't. I, did, I think I went to three recordings over the course of eleven and twelve, so you only see little glimpses. Um, and so yeah, I guess I can see why they wanted to put it out first because it's so big and impressive to hopefully draw people in. But as I think we covered, I think we we sort of worked it out as we went that there's there's certain things that make this episode unusual. That make it perhaps not ideal as a jumping on point as the start of a new series. No, yeah, like we we don't really get. There's not that much character stuff really. The character stuff is only on the sim, sort of superficial cat and Rimmer bickering, but it's not really about Lister or Rimmer. And I've like without having the numbers <laughs> in in the forefront of my head, it feels like more than more often than not over the years the series has opened with a strong episode for one particular character. Where something happens to them, whether that's you know Camille, Crichton, Hollowship, Rimmer, uh, Tika is a Lister story really. Um, Sirens is a Lister story. Yeah. I mean, what what episodes? So if it wasn't going to be Twentica, which episode should take its place? Or is, is, isn't the one? The Give and Take was recorded first. Okay. And that is 
that's a good episode, and it's got a big storyline and a clever storyline, and it's about Lister. Mm-hmm. And it's okay. so maybe Lots of red maybe dwarf. stick with, and you'd have a sleepiest and snackiest sort of hooks to get people in. So maybe they should have just stuck. To I that certainly remember at the time thinking that Gene T was the perfect episode one that we never got. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, the, 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 there was some weird ordering going on, like you know, Can of Worms is an episode five, or as it turns out, an episode four. Um, <laughs> Um, where you bury the bad one for sure, yeah. Where you bury the bad one, and a, a la- you know, this is closer to being a last episode sort of feeling one. Uh, I yeah. guess Samsara's in episode five, pretty much all over. <coughs> uh, interesting, yes, yes. I guess we'll get to our thoughts on those particular episodes in the coming weeks. We will, let's not get ahead of ourselves. <laughs> no, uh, instead, let's uh, crack on. Uh, by returning to the much-loved format. Ah, so you're a waffle, waffle man. man. Right, let me find me waffles. Uh, this is the feature where we uh, take suggestions from our loyal listeners slash readers slash social media followers on what we should talk about. Uh, we've had lots of lovely uh, suggestions for topics come in. Uh, we're going to go through a few, and if we don't get to yours today, we'll keep it in the queue, and uh, we'll get to it in a future edition. Uh, so let's start with one. Yeah, that's been waiting for a couple of weeks from Milo Scat. Uh, talk about Danny's tongue-tied VHS short film thing. Ah, yeah, <laughs> Danny's. <laughs> it's a, it's a brilliant sort of piece of weirdness mm. at this stage. Nineties ephemera. Like, yeah, I mean, for a start, a a VHS single. Yeah. Like, is, is there any type of physical media single anymore? Is it all just downloads and streams now? Like yeah. you might perhaps maybe just get some collector's I'm edition. Sure. I've not been into Woolworths recently. Type stuff. I don't know if they've still got no. some. <laughs> no, well, if not Woolworths, try Virgin Media or R Price. Yeah. R Price or Andy's Records or anything like that. MVC. <laughs> Is R Price Arkwright's um, music shop? <laughs> but it's a it's a weird thing because like where did that even like where. Obviously, that Danny wanted to re-record a version of Howard's version of Tongue Tide, mm. which is born out of the fact they didn't think that the one that they did for Parallel Universe wasn't funky enough. Yeah. So they made their own version. But where did the idea for the video come from? Who 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 produced that? Was that Grant Naylor or was that a different? No, I don't think it was anything to do with Grant Naylor. It was uh, arranged through the record company. I would have thought right. it's basically a music video, but extended with little sort of short film elements around it and so within it um the main feature is about 20 minutes long and it the, like the bulk of it is the music video for that there's also a secondary music video for uh, a remix the tabby ranks remix of tongue tide uh, which is a, a specific parody of uh shabba ranks <laughs> the early 90s ragga star uh, where he's dressed as sort of a version of him mixed with a bit of mc hammer Sort of the people that were around at that time, um, and then there's this linking material where it's uh, Danny playing a sort of down and out yeah. uh, cleaner uh, who's sleeping on the job called Leo, straight out of uh, uh, Michael Jackson's book of like extended music video things. Like, yeah, it reminds me of, yeah, of Smith Criminal, um, specifically. I think I, I don't know, like you but do basically. You know, yeah, he keeps falling asleep on the job, and then every time he dreams, it's a different version of Tongue Tied. <laughs> and the aim of which is that he he meets a girl, he sees her, and he fancies her, and he dreams about. And she she's Kit in the in the video. She's the female cat in the video, but it it's in the dream. It's him dreaming about this model that he's just met. And in the end, they go off and dance uh, in a in a rugger dance hall all night, and that works. <laughs> So spoilers, that's the plot. <laughs> <laughs> and they they dance to another shit version of Tongue Tight under the remix. Yeah. I mean, t- it's not it's not very funny, uh, but it's interesting. <laughs> uh, so the main video has uh, everyone in it basically. Um, it's got uh, Robert uh, is added to Chris and Craig doing the main backing vocals. Um, oh no! In fact, Chris isn't there. It's uh, Craig and Robert, 
um, and Alvis <laughs> are doing the main backing oh, ones. So true. Clayton Mark's there. Uh, Chris Barry was evidently not available on that day, um, and so he appears he was uh, his in hair. amongst in amongst a group of Hollies. Uh, so you've got Norman Hattie, Charles Organs, who also choreographed the video again, yeah. uh, and Chris Barry as some sort of extra computer in a, in a in a quad split. Uh, and so yeah, the, that's the main video. The the other video has got sort of cameos from um, the guy that played Robin Hood in Maid Marian is there. Obviously, uh, a Danny connection. Oh yeah. Uh, and then there's a guy dressed as the comic character from 2000 AD, Judge Dredd. And then there's also another person that turns up who is a 1970s reggae artist called Judge Dredd. And he has an argument with the other Judge Dredd about who has the rights to use the name Judge Dredd, which is such a niche joke <laughs> for Danny to have the audacity to bring into a Red Dwarf-themed music video. I mean, it's just it's like it's like a weird fever dream. Yeah, it really is. Uh, which you know, that might that might have been in the intention. A dream within a dream that is just confusing and disorientating for the viewer as well as the yeah, character. It's like a dream recorder on someone who is quite ill. Yeah, yeah. It's like like to pop pop a couple of codeine and read Danny Dundrills' Twitter feed, and it's a similar sort of experience. <laughs> so yeah, inevitably at some point, I think we're going to end up doing a commentary on it. Yeah, yeah. There's also at the end of it, there's a sort of ten minute making of, which is the best bit of it because it's just lots of footage of the cast pissing about. Yeah. In 1993. Which is uh, which yeah, is it's a nice yeah, little, little cool. time capsule in it. Yeah. I mean, I remember because I distinctly remember this because we were, I think we were in Nottingham, and I think as a joke we were like, "Ha ha, we'll go and have a look and see if we can." Because it was like a couple of stalls out in the. Uh, it was. It was Centre. Birmingham. It was Birmingham. Birmingham. It was. It was the rag market in Birmingham. Oh, that's right. Because we had to look around, and we were just like, "Ha, ah, it'd be really funny if we found like a like a tongue-tied video or something." And then you found one. Yeah. <laughs> Literally was just <laughs> popping out. I've never seen it in the wild ever. I've only seen it on eBay. Second-hand record and video shop. It was incredible. Uh, it's like the day before DJ yeah. when we were setting up. <laughs> and so I bought it for ninety nine p, and uh, went and got it signed by Danny the next day. Yeah, there was, was a couple, the, the, there was a few series five ones. I think I picked up a series five. This must be the last moment in my life when it was possible for me to go into like a market or something and find a VHS, like because it was like yeah. two thousand eleven, I think. Something yeah. like that. Yeah. yeah, but I just remember the, the coincidence of you going, oh, "I'd be really funny if we found this," and then he just literally put his hand on it. Yeah. And went, How the hell have you? Look, done that? If VHSs are being sold, then there are red dwarf VHSs there. But tongue-tied, though, I thought that was really fucking. Is, is yeah. it rare? Is or is it not that yeah. rare? Well, put it this way: I bought that copy for ninety nine p. The first time I bought a copy was on eBay uh, in about two thousand and three, two thousand and two, two thousand and three, and I paid thirty quid for it. So, Jesus. Yeah. I think I think on balance I've paid an average of fifteen pound forty nine. I don't even want, know if I've got a copy. I decided to sell my twelve inch vinyl of Tongue Tide, um, and it went fifty quid on eBay. Bloody hell! Yeah. Uh, I once bought a copy of the um, Scenes from the Dwarf book. Yes, that's a weird fucking curio that yeah. was at one stage the rarest thing in the world. People hadn't even heard of it. And like it was an almost semi mythical thing. Seb Patrick happened to have a copy of it when, you know, he was like skint student type days. Uh and so he sold it to me for I think forty fucking quid. <laughs> yeah. Uh which at the time was a reasonable price. It was like mates rates. I was buying you know, do, buying it to do him a favour. And now you can get it for one pence on Amazon. <laughs> I think mine it's was like a tenner or something, like a couple of years. It suddenly later. stopped being rare. <laughs> oh man, I love that. I love those days. Like when I when I got back into Red Dwarf, um, as I've talked about before, around about two thousand, um, I spent a lot of my time on the website called Free. It wasn't called Free Cycle. Free Cycle something else. It was called SwapItShop.com, and it was basically eBay, but you'd swap shit. And uh, is the website run by uh, Noel Edmonds and 
Keith Chegwin and Maggie Ford. No, I swear, God, this is, like, this is not like a number 42. This is a real thing. This is not a fever dream. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, and I got, I managed to pick up Look so out many. for it in the show notes. It's either going to have a link to archive.org or Capsy saying, sorry. <laughs> sorry, I made this thing up again. I like, But it was that thing, because I, I never had all the VHSs in the 90s as a kid, and so I was starting to fill in my collection, and I got a good few... Mainly Series 8 ones, the ones that people don't want. I swapped them for, like, I don't know, other videos of things that I had. And um, it was an exciting time, like, scouring eBay and like, filling in your collection, and, you know. Um, and I have a recurring... <laughs> this is probably getting a bit too deep and personal for a podcast, but I have a recurring dream whenever I'm stressed, and it's the way that stress manifests itself in my subconscious, clearly is that I always have a dream that I'm in some sort of second-hand shop, a charity shop or a market, or like a place like, you know, in Brighton there's a place called Snooper's Paradise, which is just this huge, vast, second-hand yeah. market, yeah. magical wonderland. Yeah. It's always, I'm always in a place like that, and I spot a piece of Red Dwarf merchandise that I haven't got in my collection. <laughs> and invariably, it's something that doesn't actually exist in real life, but it's something that in the dream I see it, and I'm instantly like, fuck, that's the one, that's the Holy Grail, this is the last piece I need to collect. And then always something stops me from actually buying it. Like I pick it up and take it to the counter and then someone comes along and says, oh, I need your help with this. And I never actually, man- I always wake up before I've actually managed to buy the thing. Oh, and so, yeah, I very- <laughs> that is, that's where my brain goes <laughs> when when I, when I, it thinks I require stress dreams. <laughs> so yeah, I very much empathize with that feeling of wanting to complete your Red Dwarf VHS collection. <laughs> It was a very important part it, of my life. I mean, that's a that's a double-edged sword as well. Oh, well, not a double-edged sword. That's like a, you know, it's a double whammy because you have the stress in the dream and then you wake up and then you're disappointed that the thing that you were excited about doesn't exist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even have the thrill of the chase. I mean, speaking of like sort of like rare Red Dwarf ephemera, I mean, the the, uh, the role-playing game book is now like, you know, you can't get that for less than 100 quid now. Which really? Is insane, yeah. Well, that's annoying because there's bits of that that I haven't got. <laughs> I've got the main book, but I don't. They released some sort of add-ons for it, some extras. I mean, the add-on stuff might be not rare, but they they're definitely the. Yeah. Because I looked at it the other day, thinking, do you know what? I've never thought about doing like an RPG kind of D and D kind of thing. And then slowly and surely, my mate's been getting into it, so I've been getting into uh, sort of the the how to do it in like a Red Dwarf universe. And then I thought, oh, well, I'll look at this 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 book, and I was like, it's a hundred quid. I was like, I can't afford. Just, yeah. <laughs> if we all had one, there's a, YouTube, there's a YouTube series in that. If we all had one, <laughs> yeah, let's figure that one um, out. <laughs> it's very much in it. Maybe, moment, maybe though. they had the book pulped because of the racist depiction of iguanas. <laughs> I think we've covered before. Yeah, we let's have. Yeah. that again. <laughs> um, I think we've slightly veered into another question that's come in. So let's go into that. Um, Curtis Threadgold uh, asked best, worst, weirdest pieces of merch. Uh, weirdest oh. for me would be Rimmer's toolkit. Fucking Rimmer's toolkit. And yeah, yeah. I'm afraid Curtis has, has snagged the obvious answer for weirdest. <laughs> that was for anyone like. There's been various attempts over the years at doing a, a Red Dwarf online shop. Uh, most recently was the one uh, that was open for the duration of eleven and twelve, yeah, and then shut t-shirts, down. T-shirts, really. Um, Sandbag was that the name of the company? Yeah. Yes, because yeah, I remember calling them shitbags because they were shit. <laughs> it was a shambles. Uh, it's okay, they're closed now. We don't have to just pretend to be nice to them anymore. <laughs> fucking rubbish. Absolutely awful. Oh, uh, but yeah. the, there was a previous attempt in the... Uh, about 2004, 2005, it would have been. Um, shop.reddwarf.co.uk I remember it was called. Oh. Uh, imaginatively. Uh, and then, so there were obviously they were selling the books and the uh, DVDs and, and what have you. Uh, but they also had these extra sort of bits of original merch, and one of them was Rimmer's Toolkit, uh, which was just a toolkit. It was just a small, quite cheap toolkit <laughs> in a sort of faux leather case that had a Red Dwarf logo on it and a sort of stencil font property of Arnold J. Rimmer. But you opened it up, and it was just like a plastic toolkit. <laughs> well, it, it was, but it also <laughs> had like, did it have like a tiny condom in it as well? No, like, I remember that being a thing that they said that that sure? was it. it had like a not like an ultra small didn't. condom in it. Maybe I used it because mine doesn't have one. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's bizarre. It's like if this is, I mean, I will always take an opportunity to rant about Red Dwarf merchandise, but it's like 
oh we we need we need some merchandise for red dwarf there's really a market out there for, should we treat our fans like toddlers yeah let's let's treat our fans like toddlers let's give them a plastic toy <laughs> that, that you would give you know a child that you want to get into woodwork on that note um different era but there's something called red dwarf in your pocket Fuck uh, a grandpa in your pocket <laughs> exactly like grandpa in your pocket <laughs> No, it was a small uh, plastic device that fitted in your pocket uh, that had a speaker and four buttons and it had sort of oh. classic quotes that you could press and would come out the speaker. That's yeah. a fascinating. Uh, That's a sound a soundboard app before you could put it in an app. I mean, yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, mean it, I think there was a company that was making them at the time and I think they made a bullseye one at the round about the same time. So obviously someone was just basically doing the run round for all the IPs that they could make this same product out of that could easily fit onto a tiny yeah. chip. I mean, it's just, there's a there's a lot of Red Dwarf merchandise, which is tat. <laughs> well, I've done a bit of Googling, and the toolkit, yeah, I, I definitely remember the thing that they said that there'd be a miniature condom in there, but I found a picture, uh, and you can't really see much of it. And I swear, I've got one, <laughs> and I swear they didn't have one. It was actually part of, there was two red dwarf shops there was the uk shop and the us shop and these were exclusive us ones uh there was that uh there was also a pack of red dwarf playing cards which i i remember i did an order and like ordered some american stuff and i got the playing cards i got the toolkit the playing cards were not bad yeah Yeah. Uh, they had basically the uh the face cards were each the main crew um and then the uh Non-face cards, <laughs> non-face cards. Wasn't it, is that the, the one with the quotes from like every episode? Like, because the, the thing is, what really pissed me off was by that time I think it was just series eight had happened. So there was all up to series eight. So there's fifty-two episodes, and there's fifty-two playing cards. So you think the most obvious thing to do would be to put a quote from every episode onto every card, and they didn't fucking yeah. do that, and that drove me insane. <laughs> Maybe there was a condom. I'm just googling now. I, am abs- I don't know whether there's two different ones that came out, but there is one with yeah. like an extra, extra, extra small condom or something. It was like a. In I a remember tiny, being, in a tiny little. Yeah, there's a tiny little leather pouch. It's those things you put on your fingers for counting money. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure. Of okay. It. I don't know. Well, it contained um, Schrodinger's condom. Yeah. Some of them had a condom inside, some of them didn't, and there was no way of knowing. Well, every episode we that. have to spark some sort of debate for the comments to settle, and this yeah. this week it is was there a miniature condom? Was there a condom <laughs> <laughs> in Rimmer's toolkit? Uh, a couple of uh, questions that are on a theme. Uh, at Rog Parody uh, says, would you like some roast? And I don't know whether that's a typo, but uh, yeah. I'd go for a roast. I mean, well, what, yeah, I'm, I'm, there's one cooking right now. I'm about to have a pork roast. It's, it's, it's a bloody lovely idea. I, I was going to say, like, beef gets all the gets all the acclaim, but I think <laughs> a really properly done pork roast is probably unbeatable. Yes, mate. Hipsters. So yeah. there you go. Chew on I mean, that. If it, if it was some toast, I mean, now I'm about to have a roast, so I don't want any toast. That's have a roast on toast, mate. Have you ever had a roast on toast? It's, change what life. you do is you make a roast, but you first before you plate up, you just put four slices of buttered toast on the plate. You never had a cup of beans, man. <laughs> There's another one of our brilliant Geordie accents, according to uh, going to Clem in our comments. I'll take that. Who is my partner's Geordie, Geordie, so I get. I, I... She's rubbed off on you. Yeah. <laughs> Andrew McCarran uh, asks, "How long before an actual AI toaster hits the market?" I'm sure I've heard that they've already done that, or at least a smart toaster that you can control from your phone. All you've got to do is go to, yeah. go to our Red Dwarf on Reddit, and there'll probably be about 20 different links. People say, ah, look, they've made Talky Toaster, uh, in between all the bits where they've said, look, there's a Smeg fridge. <laughs> we had a... So, really quickly, <laughs> my parents, I, they've still got the same toaster. They've had it for about 20 years. 
and it is the most unnecessarily over-engineered toaster ever, where you just press a single capacitive button and the toast like gets lowered down on a motor, like and then you set the timer with a little LCD display and then it will when it's finished, it'll go beep, beep, beep and then and the toast comes back up again. Or at a pinch, we could use a spring. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But that toaster with its 70 million different points of failure Again, is entering into its second decade in this world. So, I mean, yeah, the, yeah. there's a the, the, there are currently sort of smart toasters that are running sort of roughly about three hundred and fifty quid that only do two slices of toast at a fucking time. Yeah, so, exactly. This is Jesus. What it has seven browning levels. Boom. It twisted its browning knob um, <laughs> coquettishly, or whatever the quote was. We'll get to it. But yeah, it, it just it's great. I mean, yeah, obviously, like smart you, smart appliances are now a thing. You know, um, mm. like being able to connect stuff to your phone. Some stuff is. They're only smart in the way that you like. The it's a solution to looking for a problem. Yeah, I've made myself a smart kettle. Oh, mate, you've got a nest. I can. I've got a a smart plug on my kettle, uh, so that I can fill it up overnight and put it like turn the power off, uh, set the switch to on filled with water and then I can set the water boiling while I'm in bed and by the time I go downstairs it's ready to pour onto my tea (laughs) it saves me five minutes (laughs) I mean the world's got itself in a fucking goddamn hurry hasn't it it's like we can't wait for boil anymore I'm an unashamed convert to needless smart things yeah, <laughs> because I've got the lights set and I've got we've got smart light bulbs which is actually really handy like the reason we got smart light bulbs is because we have a newborn baby and so being able to voice activate the lights you know with, when you've got no hands free and you're trapped on the sofa under a screaming child is a handy thing to be able to do yeah, yeah. Uh, but you can also for example I learned that if I say <laughs> if I command it in the voice of sting uh, during Roxanne, I can actually make it turn on a red light by going put on the red light <laughs> and who doesn't want that in their living room? I mean yeah obviously if you shout blue alert does it turn blue? Uh, well I now have a new project for this evening <laughs> if I could get it to answer back when I change the alert level <laughs> are you absolutely sure? You need to hook it into your Google Home are you well, absolutely is. sure? Oh, it, is, it does mean changing yeah. the bulb done through Google Home on that point, yeah, you'd think that Starbug would have a colour changing bulb. If we, ha- if I have one in my living room now, yeah, where do you have to manually change the coloured light bulbs? In I Starbuck? mean, the budget Come just on. wasn't there from the GMC. That's Everything's on, RGB these days, so you know, GMC have got no excuse. Uh, a bit of <laughs> RGBG. Well, I think you'll find that was a compelling and thrilling discussion on red dwarf related topics. There, yeah. <laughs> <It> was... <laughs> Look, they can't. These episodes can't all be bangers. We're doing them every week. Just like, don't, I tell you what, don't send reviews this week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, please ignore us. If you'd like to send us an iTunes review, wait. Actually, no, no one's <laughs> wait until we do a good one. No one's writing any iTunes reviews anyway. <laughs> uh, on that note, that closes off today's edition of Ah, so you're a waffle man. And Waffleman will return in two podcasts' time, uh, because as some of you are probably already aware, we're alternating now between doing uh, episode commentaries on the Dave era and the Dwarfcast Book Club, in which we're uh, rereading and analysing in a tremendous amount of depth uh, each Red Dwarf novel part by part. Uh, so our next podcast released uh, after this one will be Infinity Welcomes Careful Drivers Part 2. Uh, and by the time this this one is released, uh, you've probably got a few days left before we start recording, uh, which will be on the weekend of the 18th and 19th of July. Uh, so get your comments in uh, if you've got anything to say about the book over on Ganymede.tv. Uh, but just to note uh, that once we record that episode, it might be a little while before it's released. Uh, we're slightly changing uh, the schedule of the podcast to basically... Uh, give us more time to do the book club justice because <laughs> there's far far less structure than we, we have even for our normal uh, podcasts on that one uh, and so it needs a lot of tightening up to make good and in order to uh, prevent Danny from dying uh, we're going to give ourselves two weeks uh, to release each book club uh, and one week for the commentaries so basically we're going to be recording two every three weeks 
Uh, and so you'll get two podcasts every three weeks instead of one every week. And if you don't like that, then you can fuck off. It's better than you've had over the last Ever. 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> Ever for g and uh, but no, that was that was needlessly aggressive. But it was supposed to be a joke. Just in case <laughs> I'm quite tired. Uh, but never fear, uh, we've just got to read 150 pages of novel uh, by this time next week, and we'll have another cracking podcast for you. Uh, but until then, uh, make sure you're following us on social media. Twitter handle is Ganymede Heighton. Okay. So this should give you an idea of the kind of person we're working okay. with. Okay. And leave us a review on iTunes, uh, but probably don't go into the specifics of this particular episode. But just, <laughs> you know, generally. We're, we're nice people. Come on. Failing that, uh, we'll settle for you just listening to the next episode. So until then, everyone. Ed bye, everybody. Ed bye. Thank you for listening to GNT Dwarfcast, and we hope sometime in the future you'll decide to listen to our Dwarfcast again. Have a safe onward journey. Goodbye. <laughs>